What are we talking about? You play to win the game. You don't play to just play. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! Can't wait! All right, what's going on, everybody? It's Tuesday night. It's time for the big three. It's just Brett and myself tonight. Uh, Jake had something come up, but it'll be it'll be all right. You know, hopefully he'll be back next week. But um, we still have a great show for you. It'll be myself and I said talking NBA, talking NFL. A lot of interesting topics. The NFL we had championship Sunday, so we now know the Super Bowl matchup. Plus the NBA, we had a debut of a coach. That I'm sure Brett paid a lot of attention to, and we'll definitely get into that as well. But uh, I mean, appreciate everybody's going to tune in. You know, we got uh, Jory in here already. What's up? So, Brett, how are you doing tonight? Before we get into everything, I'm I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm ready to talk sports. I definitely can't wait to talk about our lovely new coach, and it's going to be a great time. <laughs> I mean. Should be excited. It's a new era in Milwaukee, you know. New voice, new system, new style of play, new results, maybe. I don't know. Uh, Mo, what's going on? Uh, look, we, we might as well just go ahead and get, get going with it. So the Bucks, we, we finally saw Doc Rivers uh, coaching Milwaukee. They did lose, but there seems to be a lot of optimism around the team. You know, Doc said he loved what they were doing offensively. Uh, then he kind of said that defensively they're not as bad as people think. Was that a shot at the previous coach? Maybe. Then talked to Giannis, and he said, oh, we have to give Doc some time. We're, we're getting used to him. So Doc gets time, but Adrian Griffin got 43 games, and that was enough of him. He didn't get much time, but, hey, they, they seem to be happy right now. So, Brett, as the Bucks fan, I mean, what do you think? Did you see anything different from Milwaukee under Doc Rivers? One thing I'll give him credit for is I think we saw a lot more attention to detail on defense. We held okay. Denver to 103 points. That would be unheard of at the beginning of the year. As great as, you know, we were, it started out 30 and 13. We couldn't hold anybody. We were getting up 120, 130. We were still winning because of our offense, but – so that's something I will give Doc credit for. And I do agree with the patience comment. Like, listen, the offense, it looked for the most part the same. But obviously mm-hmm. also we can't expect Doc to implement everything in one game. So I think I think both things are true. I'm still skeptical about everything. But I was encouraged by how much more attention we had to detail on defense in the first game. Okay. I mean, look, that that's that's progress. You got to start somewhere. And, yes, you know, holding Denver to anything less than 120, I think you, you definitely have done your job. So, I mean, I guess going forward, you know, do you think, I guess what just the small sample size you saw, would you feel better about this team going forward than maybe you did last week? Just because of that little bit of, attention uh, to detail and defense. You more encouraged about them defensively now? 
Um, yeah, like if we were basing it off that one game, yeah, they look much better than they had in a while. Now, granted, obviously, you know, there's still, unfortunately, another half of the season left to go that, <laughs> you know, a lot of things can go horribly wrong or maybe they'll go horribly right. But if Doc can come in and fix the defense, the offense generates quality looks by itself. Um, we could be on to something. We, uh, we very well could be now. When we get to the playoffs, it's a different story, but I think there's reason to be optimistic for the remainder of the regular season. Okay. I mean, are you expecting the Bucks to be active uh, around the trade deadline? Because, I mean, the deadline is, what, next Thursday, I think? I can't believe it's already here, but do you expect the Bucks to be active, stay put, or do something minor? Um, I think we'll end up doing something minor. Like, if anything, a trade for a guy like the caliber of, like, Chris Dunn, some defensive-minded wing or a defensive-minded guard who can help with the point of attack. The Bucks mm-hmm. just don't have an asset to make a major trade at this point. So I'd expect something marginal, and if we do make a move, I'm fully expecting it to be with defense in mind. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, yes, Doc's going to need some time to <clears throat> fully implement whatever system he has, the assistant coaches and everything for them to get used to the voice of Doc in the huddle and, and everything like that. But, yeah, I mean, if they're all encouraged, that that kind of helps because it seemed like the morale around the team the last few days of Adrian Griffin were low. So if this is the honeymoon phase and they, they can get a few quality wins in there, I, I guess they'll be better off for it. So we'll, we'll wait and see because I feel like a lot of the – you know, NBA pundits and stuff. I think they're down on Milwaukee a little bit now because, you know, they're they're loving the Knicks or the Celtics or Cleveland, uh, Philly, I guess. And it seems like Milwaukee's kind of getting lost in the conversation a little bit. So if they can figure their issues out, maybe they have, they, they'll have another deep run in the playoffs ahead of them, possibly. I'll say one move that I will give Doc a ton of credit for that I really like, and I think this helps with the defense a ton, is the hiring of his new assistant coach, Dave Yeager. Used to be the coach of the the older, you know, Grizzlies team that were still in the grit and grind area. The Mm -hmm. Kings are one of their better defensive years under Yeager. Doc had it, was at his best when he had a really strong coaching staff, like in Boston, when he had Tibbs with him. So I mm-hmm. think Dave Yeager could, you know, kind of fill that, you know, Tom Thibodeau really strong defensive mind role for him and really help do whatever he can to fix this defense. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I did see Yeager on the bench. And I, I did think that, that was a good hire for sure. So, yeah, we'll just have to see can the players buy in. And I guess because of the perception of the whole Adrian Griffin stuff, like will they buy into Doc? two weeks down the line, a month down the line, or will they turn him off as well? I, I feel like, I feel like if they do that, then there might be some serious questions to be asked about the actual players in Milwaukee and, and maybe how serious they are about winning this season. Because they can't just keep cycling coaches through all of a sudden. Because you just you need consistency at that point if you're going to be a contender. Say we're already paying like three coaches through 2026 guaranteed with Griffin, Bud, and Doc. So that's wild. Like, usually you'd hear something like that and you say, Oh, that must be like the Pistons or somebody, some 
team that's really been a failure and they're just trying to find answers. Like Milwaukee has been Eastern Conference Finals in contention, you know, these past few years, and they still seemingly can't stick with a coach now all of a sudden. Interesting dynamic in Milwaukee. Uh, let's see. Mo checked in. What's up, Mo? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll wait and see. Obviously, this is something that we will keep close attention to because I, I do think the Bucks are interesting in that they're a bit of an older team. They're not as athletic, but you still have Giannis there, and we know that Giannis is the ultimate competitor. And he's going to try to do as much as he can to get this team as far as he can. And we'll just have to see how Lillard, Lillard looks like late in the season playing games that actually matter. He hasn't had that in Portland a lot. And then postseason-wise, how he can do. Okay. Uh, let's go to the next topic. So Bob Myers, old Bobby, sat on NBA Countdown, and he said, as I have up here, that if it was a Game 7 situation, he would take Joel Embiid over Nikola Jokic. I heard it. I immediately made a face because I was like, that's an interesting thing to say. Now, if you think about it, Bob Myers is connected to the commanders who happen to be connected to, uh, was it Josh Harris, who's connected to the Sixers? So did he make that comment because he's kind of invested in Philly a little bit? Or if that's how he really feels, then more power to him. I mean, first off, we got to ask this, like, do you agree with the statement that you would take Embiid over Jokic in a Game 7 situation? Against each other? Or I think he just said in general, if he has a Game 7, he needs to win. He wants Embiid over Jokic. See, I think in, to generalize this is really tough, right? Because it all depends on matchup who I would want. For example, right. a guy like Brooke Lopez, even like Al Horford, guys who can guard the post really well, they give Joel Embiid fits where Jokic still thrives against guys like that. Whereas if you're against maybe somebody softer who doesn't have as good rim protection like, you know, well, even he's Jokic, like Jokic or somebody, then Joel Embiid's going to thrive. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with this take, but I think it's also situational who I'd want. In general, I'm – Probably still going to go, uh, if I can guarantee he's healthy, I don't think Embiid's a bad answer. I, I would still take Jokic, but I don't think Embiid's a bad answer because I think matchup depending, mm-hmm. there are situations where Embiid is cle- cleanly a better fit to, than Jokic. Yeah. I mean, I guess for me, when I first heard it, I was thinking like game seven, conference finals to go to the NBA finals. The, the amount of pressure that's involved in that, who would I take? In my mind, automatically went to Jokic because I've seen Jokic do it. It's hard for me to put Embiid in that situation when he's never been past the second round. And it kind of looks like when he loses in the second round, like he's out of gas or something. So to extend his playoff run even more games, I don't know how Embiid would look. But I do agree with you that Based off of Embiid's, you know, talent, skill set, yes, it's not a terrible take, but it's just that seeing their body of work and Jokic going on deep playoff runs while Embiid hasn't, I don't know. It just, just made me feel like it was just a 
weird statement to make. And I, I've heard some people breaking it down and they kind of said similar to what I said, where it's like Embiid seems to wear down in the playoffs, so it's hard to think that he would last for a game seven of a conference finals and look as good as he does now. Whereas Jokic, as unathletic as he looks, he, he seems to be athletic enough to to make it through conference finals and the finals. I don't know. I guess something to think about. Uh, Jory said depends on the matchup, which is uh, what you said. And then Mo, I'm taking Joker because we've yet to see Embiid step up in the playoffs. And that's a good point. Yeah, no, um, that that's kind of the part, too, that, like, because Embiid's normally injured in the playoffs. He finds a way to get injured every playoffs. And if I can guarantee him a full bill of health, like he's fully healthy, not banged up at all, it's a different story. But that's also kind of a situation, too. Like, what happened in the other six games? Is is Embiid healthy? Is, is he fully healthy? Mm-hmm. So it, it's tough because you're 100% correct. Embiid does seem to break down in deep playoff runs. So it's tough to generalize this because Embiid is such a talent, but his body gives out on him so much. And mentally, like, he hasn't shown that he has the – He, I mean, what am I trying to say? He hasn't shown that he can, you know, get past that barrier, that mental barrier, and he hasn't shown that he can handle the pressure well. Mo said he wasn't hurt versus the Hawks. He just quit. He quit against the Celtics, it seemed like to me. Once they, you know, lost the game six opportunity and then had game seven back in Boston, from the minute they jumped, Embiid checked out of that game, and that's why they kind of got blown out. So, yeah, I, I don't know. For as talented as Embiid is, his playoff performances have left you a little bit underwhelmed. Because, I mean, I I can't see how Al Horford, Robert Williams, or something should frustrate him to the point that he quits in the Game 7. That's crazy to me. Like, he should be dominating Al Horford. I mean, Al Horford's like 80 years old, but still somehow frustrates Embiid. I think uh, those guys frustrate him more because they – a lot of these newer guys aren't necessarily great at handling post-ups and physicality because they're more trained mm-hmm. to be more agile. They're, you know, they're smaller. Whereas a guy like Al Horford, he can take the physicality that Embiid dishes out. He knows how to handle the post. So I think guys like, you know, Horford, Lopez, before that, Marcus Saul, Rob, these are big physical guys that they can take that punishment and dish it back out and, it seems that when Embiid runs into somebody that can take the punishment he's dishing out, he has absolutely no clue what to do with them half the time. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I mean, yeah, and then Jokic, we see Jokic is just crafty because, once again, he doesn't rely on athleticism. He's just – he plays it all IQ. Great playmaker. And he just hits big shots when he has to, whether it's from the outside or – you know, in the mid range, like the mid post or whatever. I don't know. I just, I mean, I like watching both of them play, but Jokic is just, I don't know. It's just hard to explain him at times how he, he does what he does. Because you're standing on the playground and you saw a guy like Jokic standing there. I mean, yeah, because he's tall, you might pick him, but you wouldn't expect him to do the stuff with the basketball that he does. It's just crazy to me. And the best uh, Joker's game will age better, says yeah. Mo. I was going to say, I agree with that, Mo. 
You can't take away his shooting, his playmaking. That's going to age perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. He was never much of a rim protector anyway. He never relied on athleticism. He's almost going to age similar to how Dirk aged. How he could oh, he was still a good shooter. He's still a good offensive player right up until the end. Yeah, Embiid. Mm. Like I know, Gene has said on here before. Like he he gives Embiid like a couple of more years before. I guess it be really slows down, which I mean, I guess you could, it wouldn't be that hard to fathom because of all the lower body injuries he had so early on in his career. And also, I guess to do a little side topic on this, crazy to think Embiid might actually not hit the 65 game measuring stick to win MVP. And I've heard some people kind of talk about you know, how that shouldn't be a thing. It's kind of messed up. But I think in this case, I like it even more. Because you need to have some type of threshold on this thing because we can't have a guy play like 60 games and seen as more valuable than a guy who plays like 75. So I think 65 is perfect. And if B, if B doesn't do it, that's on him. Yeah. Well, no, not necessarily on him, but his health, yeah. What's up, no, Sajin? No, I, I agree with that. I, I like having a game limit on these awards and everything because you, if you're if you're in the MVP race, you should be playing. If you want to make an All NBA team, you should be playing. So I I don't mind the uh, game limit for sure. I know some people argue sixty five is too high. I I don't mind that number. I think it's a good number. It gives you a seventeen game buffer. Mm-hmm. What I think is going to be the most interesting part about this is the issues it's going to end up causing for some guys, because now let's say Embiid and half the guys who would have made it miss it, and now you're going to have a lot of guys start to make it. Like maybe Julius Randle, for example, sneaks on again, and now you got <laughs> Julius Randle wants his, you know, wants his massive deal more than a max. So I, I think this it's a great thing, but I think in the long run too, this is going to cause a lot of a lot of problems because now the guys are going to make all NBA and want a lot more money than they're actually worth. That Yeah, that definitely is a, a potential pitfall of this. Although I think uh, I heard a stat as well, like Kyrie Irving has already been disqualified from the 65 game uh, limit because he's already missed 20 games this season. So if you had, if you put some money down on Kyrie Irving winning MVP, He's already out of the running. I don't know who would who would be bold enough to do that, but yeah, only I think it was like forty seven games, and he's played twenty seven of them, something like that, and if or twenty three out of the forty seven, something like that he's played. And if you did put money on Kyrie to win MVP, <laughs> get help. You can find the gambling addiction hotline on Google. You know, give that number a call. Uh, the Nuggets don't need Jokic to play great all seven games. Philly needs Embiid to play amazing all seven games. Well, technically, if you look at last season, they won. They won back-to-back games without Embiid in the playoffs because they won Game One against Boston. Embiid was out, and then they won the clinching game against. Uh, who did they play the round before? Was that the Nets? Yes, the Nets, yeah. So they they could win without him. Uh, Jory said that makes her happy about Kyrie, yes. <laughs> I think you, 
I don't think he necessarily needs to play amazing, but I think he's absolutely invaluable at the end of the day. Like offensively, I don't. He needs to play good. He just can't. He, he can't shoot like ten of twenty-five and expect to win. So he's got to ma- maintain efficiency on that end. I think that the biggest piece with him is they all always need him on the court for his defense. And that's mm-hmm. the beauty of Joel Embiid. Even if his shot's not falling, he's such a defensive anchor. So do I think he needs to play amazing to be, to win a championship? Yeah, absolutely. But they've shown that they can win even if Embiid has off games offensively. But Yeah. Well, I think something also Embiid sometimes, when, it's, when it seems like things aren't going – his way or Philly's way, he can have some bad body language. And and I think as a guy who is supposed to be the leader of that team, that's that's something he definitely has to uh, be better with. Because if you look like, you know, if if your body language shows that, oh, this game's over with, then why are the other guys going to continue to fight if they see that you're kind of checked out as well? And sometimes that can be tough, but, you know, he's an MVP now. The, the team is completely his. Harden's gone, so you don't have to look at Harden taking away from him. Like he's he's going to have to lead Philly to that promised land. For sure. All right. Because uh, <laughs> he's a brat. Well, there you go. <laughs> All right. All right. Next one. Oh, the Heat. Good old Heat culture. Like, don't you just love it? Uh, they've lost seven games in a row. Now, before the season, if you remember, I said I was not believing in the Heat. I think I feel like the Heat were, weren't going to do Heat stuff this year. And now it seems like they're getting a lot of attention from NBA analysts because of this losing streak, which I believe is the longest of Spolstra's era there. I think the last time they lost seven games, Pat Riley was the coach. And they just made the deal with Terry Rozier, which a lot of people loved and thought that was going to like reinvigorate the team or something like that. Hasn't worked out yet, but you can't really put on Rozier. He just got there. So when you look at the Heat, what's wrong in Miami? What do you think it is? Talent deficit. Once you get past, I feel like they had kind of this group for a while now. Well, they, they lost a lot of the big pieces, right? Like Gabe Vincent was huge for them. Struess was huge for them. They lost some of those key role players that really helped them make a big, you know, playoff run last, last year, and that's coming back to hurt them. They really thought that they could replace him with guys like, you know, Hayward Highsmith and other guys, and it just hasn't panned out, unfortunately, for them. Do I think they'll still magically somehow make a random Eastern Conference Finals run this year? Probably. They seem to know when to turn it on at the right time, but I think once I'm you get that, I'm still not buying into that. I say what once you get past Jimmy Bam, and you know Tyler Hero, and now add Terry Rozier, there's not really any consistency behind them. Hey, Gabe could be great for your team if you ever played. He got out of that heat culture. Now he's breaking down. You got you got to send him back. He's he, he needs that heat culture. Uh, I mean, look, I've I've heard some people ask the question: Should the Heat maybe entertain moving Jimmy Butler at this point? I think that would be a bold move to make. 
because, you know, Butler is the epitome of kind of what the Heat have been the past few years where, you know, we've seen them turn it on the playoffs and, and get that team to places that a lot of people weren't expecting. But if this seven-game losing streak is kind of foreshadowing bigger issues with the team, what player could you really move to really change things up as much as a Jimmy Butler? Like we saw the Tyler Hero stuff with Portland, and Portland was like, no, we're good. I don't think Tyler Hero is going to bring you back as much as you, as you probably would think. So it, it'd have to be Butler or kind of keep it as is and try to figure it out. I mean, would you would you think about moving Butler, or you think that's too much? I'm going to say Jimmy Butler shouldn't be untouchable. He's 34. This is not a championship-caliber team, and people are going to say they made two finals. Yeah, and they lasted five games in both of them. This is a team that can make a deep playoff run, and they can make the finals. But who do you really trust them to beat in the West once we get there? Like, you don't you don't think they're actually going to beat any contender, and they haven't lasted five games past – sorry, I think they lasted six games in 2020. But, yeah, they, they can get it done once they get there. So I think Jimmy Butler, definitely they shouldn't, you know, actively look to move him. What if somebody comes along with an absolute – godfather offer for Jimmy Butler containing like three, you know, four first round picks and young players kind of like, uh, you know, somebody's dumb enough to pull like a Rudy Gobert trade package for him. I would think they would have to seriously consider it. Anthony says Butler to the Warriors. Butler and Draymond Green on the same team. <laughs> All right. I mean, <laughs> can the NBA get some hard knocks type action? I would love to see the practices with those two. Uh, uh, so Anthony does have a question for us. Guys, I did see your your other uh, comment, Anthony, and we'll use that when we get to the NFL. But he's asking, do we believe Ben Simmons is back or is it too early to get your hopes up? Uh, I'll, I'll let you uh, have first crack at this one. <laughs> it's too early to get your hopes up? Like, as much as I would love to say, yeah, guys, Ben Simmons is back. Yeah. For how long? We've seen this before. He comes in like a ball of fire. He looks great for, like, a nice little six, seven-game sample size. Then he's out again. Back spasms. Two months. Mm-hmm. We saw this with uh, before KD and Kyrie left, too. He came back. He looked great. And then he was hurt again. So I think that he looked great when he came back in that first game. But it's way too early to tell him Ben Simmons. I need to see him be around to build on it. Yeah. I mean, I saw the graphic when they were like, he's going to play for the first time since November 6th. And I was like, it had actually been that long since we saw him on the court. To be honest with you, he was out of sight, out of mind. I would never get my hopes up about Ben Simmons, even when he does his little off season uh, video of him shooting threes and all that. I never bought into that. And like you said, until he can put together three weeks of actually playing, I'm, I'm still not paying attention to Ben Simmons. You know, he, he had his 11 point, 10 point, like 11 rebound, eight assists, almost triple double. That's cute. Remember, this guy was a number one pick and we're getting excited over 11 10 and 8. 
Like, come on. Uh, yeah. I don't I'm just I'm, glad Ben Simmons is on my team. I, I, I could not root for the guy. Man, I, I'm not going to lie. When it comes to the Brooklyn Nets, I'm not sure there's a team in a worse position than the Brooklyn Nets. Like, honestly, I think that the Detroit yeah. Pistons, I'd rather GM that team than whatever's going on in Brooklyn. Because the, the the Nets don't have any picks until 2028 because any of their own picks because of the James Harden trade. So they can't tank. Yeah, that's, that's and with Mikel Bridges, they're like – they're good enough to beat most bad teams, but they're not good enough to beat any mediocre to good team. So I think this is probably the worst position team in the NBA because you're seeing a team that's stuck in basketball purgatory. Yeah, that's true. And I thought I thought they did well out of the trades with some of the pieces they, they kind of kept and, and brought on. But, yeah, it's just a team of – a lot of role players, a lot of number twos and threes, probably number fours, but no number one. And I think Brooklyn was hoping Bridges could be a number one, but his skill set, you know, he, he's not like a incredibly gifted scorer that he would be a number one. So they'd have to find a way to get a number one there. But like you said, they don't have draft picks. They have some pieces maybe they can move. But, like, what's, what's Cam Thomas going to bring you back or uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, you know? They'll probably get you a second-round pick or something. Just, yeah. just imagine. Just imagine, right. like, 30 of them, like, OKC, and then try to package them all and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a really good point about Brooklyn. Because even looking at, looking at their season now, I mean, they've – like they went through a couple of rough weeks when they were losing a lot. And I think they're like, they're pretty sure they're below 500 and probably in the playing range at this point. Not exactly what I thought before the season started, but yeah, they're, they're in some serious trouble right now. Yeah. They went through a stretch where they lost 16 out of 20. And I'm just like, man, I, I can't think of a worse place to be than where they are right now. Right. Like I said, at least with Detroit, like you know you're awful, but you have your pick coming down the line, and you have some young pieces that you feel like are showing you enough that they can be a part of your future. Now you just have to hit on your picks, of course, and probably move out some of the pieces that clearly don't fit Killian Hayes. But you know, I, <laughs> look, campaign used to be my Killian Hayes, the guy who I just was like, how is this guy on a court? But Killian Hayes just takes the – yeah, I just don't know what he does. I was, I was trying to think, like, when he was drafted, he was supposed to be, like, a really good wing defender, I think. And I think people were like, oh, you know, he's young. He'll develop an offensive game. No, he, he will not, he, at least not with that shot selection he has. He fell under the old adage, the shot will come along. I know the big hype was – oh, he's a really good free-throw shooter, and a lot of people use that to really judge if somebody's going to be a good shooter or not. So they're like, well, he's already a, he's going to be a good defender, he'll be a good playmaker, he's a good free-throw shooter, so the shot's going to come along. And uh, with him, it just hasn't, and his defense has regressed hard, and his playmaking's still, like, good, but when your defense and has, has regressed and your play or shot selection has hasn't done anything, yeah, then you, you get stuck with Killian Hayes. 
<laughs> Couldn't protect a piggy bank of the piggy. <laughs> All right, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, okay, so before we get into the NFL, like I said, Anthony, we'll get back to your comment that you put up there. I uh, got a quick word from the network. Hey guys, it's Pavel the Cat and Evan Rev Runners. And we are two guys in Hockey Talk. We are here every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time to talk all things hockey. What are we talking about, Evan? We talk KHL, AHL, ETHL, every HL hockey league you can think about, prospects, juniors, even the professional women's hockey league. Yeah, we love it. And we have a website, Two Guys in Hockey Talk. So give us a follow. We got articles on all things related to hockey, and we're writing all throughout the season. So make sure you're tuning in. We're also on X or Twitter. Uh, you can find me at hockey underscore two, and you can follow me at Revan M. Or you can also go to Two Guys and Hockey Talk.com to follow everything. We love hearing from you guys, so make sure you tune in, comment, like, give us a follow on our Facebook and YouTube page. We love hearing from you guys, and it's a blast talking all things hockey. Right, Evan? Hey, man, it is. So, as we say every show, in the meantime and in between time. Keep your sticks on the ice. Cheers. Cheers. All right, that's two guys in Hockey Talk. You can find them on the network tomorrow night. So, Anthony put in here, breaking news that Tom Brady will be on Fox Network's TV, uh, Fox Network as a lead analyst for their, their NFL coverage, of course. So I guess he's going to push Greg Olson down to number two. Brady becomes the number one guy. To be honest, I think a lot of people didn't actually think this was going to happen we heard that he had some deal in place with fox but some people thought like this was just some kind of ruse until he made another comeback but now it seems like he, he's fully retired he's gonna go to the booth what do you think about tom brady in the booth i think he's gonna be great in the booth honestly i if there's somebody that can absolutely kill it i think it's gonna be tom brady nobody works as hard or preps as hard as tom so I think he's really going to put his mind to it. He's a very charismatic guy, and he's got a pretty great sense of humor. So I think Tom Brady will knock it out of the park, and I think worst-case scenario, I think Tom Brady will be much better than Greg Olson. <laughs> yeah, that's what Sajan said. Uh, I mean, look, when Greg Olson first started, I was a little bit, eh. I thought he was okay. You know, maybe not number one type, but, you know, if he goes on to the number two, Gig, I think I think that's fine. Uh, <laughs> Jory's trying to get away from Tom Brady. Well, now you're going to see him even more uh, every week on Fox. Have you seen the video of him throwing the pass like in the ballroom? Yeah. Some guy running? I mean, sign him up. Bring him back to New England. Like, the, the dude still has the arm. Uh, see, don't do Greg like that. He won an Emmy. He did? Okay. I didn't realize he did, but I didn't think Greg Olson was bad, but that was more. Yeah, I thought I, he was okay. I just realized that came off as like a backhanded compliment. I don't think Greg Olson was bad. <laughs> I just think Brady's going to be better. Let me let me retract that. Let me phrase that. I apologize to Greg Olson. I did not, not mean for it to come out like that. I did like uh, Greg Olson's uh, little commercial where he tried to be uh, Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> that was a nice little commercial. Oh, for sure. So, yeah. I mean, at least Greg's not getting fired. He's just going to be on the number two team. 
that's fine. Uh, all right, so we're gonna get back to our topics. Washington, Seattle, the only two jobs left. And we got some news about the Washington job because Ben Johnson, seemingly the favorite for that job, told everybody, I'm staying in Detroit. Chris said, also taking a $7 million pay cut. I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Ben Johnson won't be in Washington. Seattle, we've heard Dan Quinn forever, yet he has not been introduced yet. Is it possible that these two teams are waiting for somebody who is still in the playoffs or possibly just lost this past weekend? Like, do we... I think I feel like at this point they had to be waiting. Well, Washington, we knew we were waiting on Ben Johnson and not going to get him. I mean, would you have a prediction of where these two teams go at this point? At this point, I'm starting to think that the uh, Seahawks were uh, waiting for. Ah, uh, gotta help me out here, Kyle. Um, Ravens, DC, Mike McDonald. Yes, I, I agree with you. I think that yes. they were waiting for McDonald because I think well, if they wanted Dan Quinn, it would have probably happened already. So I'm guessing they were waiting for the waiting for the playoffs to be done so they can at least talk to McDonald first. And then Washington, yeah. I think they were easily waiting for Ben Johnson. Now he's coming back to Detroit. I think this is probably where they try to turn. Okay, maybe this is Eric Bieniemy's time to shine finally. Yeah, I kind of agree with you both on both counts. Uh, I said that Quinn to Seattle, don't understand why everybody thought that was the natural fit. We've seen Dan Quinn go from D.C., head coach in Atlanta. Wasn't that great. And then for them to try to do it again, and especially with the way, you know, Dallas showed out in their final game in the in the, in the postseason, it wasn't exactly a great interview tape for, for Dan Quinn. At least with McDonald, we saw what that defense did against Kansas City. You know, they were a little bit undisciplined at times, but they still balled out. And I feel like if you're going to go with a defensive coach, you might as well take the guy who had a better defense in McDonald. And yes, he's going to be new at it, but that's kind of the way this coaching circle, this coaching cycle has been going. Young, inexperienced, but something like a breath of fresh air. And then for um, Washington, yeah, I feel like it has to be BNME. Now, Vrabel, I said early in the process that Vrabel at Washington, I could see that. But I guess it's got to be Biennemi or, uh, you know, Belichick's name's going to come up again because Belichick and Washington did seem like a thick, but I, I don't know. Belichick is just an odd – it's odd to place Belichick anywhere because he's only going to coach for like three years. So if he goes to Washington now, three years later, how is he going to leave Washington? Are, like, are, are they on the cusp of some Super Bowl? Probably not. So would Washington – turn the keys over to Belichick for a couple of years, completely change how they run things to then have to do it all over again in a couple of years. I don't see it. So the enemy probably should be the favorite there. Yeah. I, I don't think Bill, uh, I don't think Bill coaches this year and uh, I don't really know if he'll coach next year. He, he just might be done. The only couple mm-hmm. jobs maybe that he comes out for is uh Maybe if the Eagles and Cowboys fire their coach next year, those those think those might tempt them because those could be you know teams that he could very easily hit, get the coaching record with. But uh, I'm not I'm not he's definitely not coming this year. I don't think at this point, and I'm not sure if he ever comes back to coach. Yeah, he might have to 
Join Saban out in that oh, fishing boat or whatever Saban likes to do. And just have it out with his buddy. You know, maybe you don't get the Don Shula thing. That's fine. Doesn't doesn't affect your legacy. Side just said rolling with Anthony on this, or yeah, Anthony said give it to the enemy or Vrabel. Makes okay. sense. I could see Bill Belichick being like I could see him going on a on TV too, but I could see him doing like short segments where he like breaks down an offense or something or a defense. I could see him being really good in like a film breakdown kind of role. Yeah, he used to do that uh, in New England, like weekly. He'd go on the local uh, station there and break down game film, and he was really good at it. So I could see that too. I don't know where he would do it, but you know, get him on the Manning cast. I think he'd be pretty good there. <laughs> you know, Eli would torture him. He yeah, I'm sure Belichick would have a, a great comeback or two. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that could be a role for him. He will be somewhere next year on TV. All right. So I guess we're in agreement with McDonald's for Seattle and Washington, I guess, the enemy should be. Hopefully they kind of make decisions now, unless they're waiting for somebody from Kansas City and San Francisco. I mean, I, I I just don't see that. So maybe we'll finally get the last two jobs filled sometime this week. Um, Mac or Johnson for Seattle, please. Well, Johnson said he's staying in Detroit, so that's out of it. I'm surprised Slowick from uh, Houston didn't get probably some more traction in some of these places. Unless they want to see him do it for another year, maybe. I think with Slowick too, like a lot of these, uh, a lot of the good coaching jobs, you know, they went right away or they had their guys. Mm -hmm. So I could see Slowick also just kind of deciding like, okay, the jobs that I wanted to go to are filled. I'm just going to come back to Houston for another year because he's going to be a head coaching candidate next year too. So he might as well come back next year when, you know, maybe a better team's out there for him. Next year there'll be an opening in Dallas for sure and, you know, a couple other places. That's a good point. Because my thinking was like Washington, you know, if you're not sold on Howell, you have a high pick. If you get a young quarterback, you just saw Slowick work magic with C.J. Stroud as a young quarterback. Maybe you you would, you know, try to do the same thing. But, yeah, maybe he just holds out for another year. And wouldn't be a bad move because we know jobs will open up next year for sure. NFL isn't that patient. All right. Oh, the good old picks. Ooh, I jumped by jumped Jake by a game. Ooh. You did, yes. You went two and zero, and Jake went one and one. So now you have jumped ahead of him as you are now five games over five hundred, and Jake's at four. Once again, I went zero and two, but John called me out last week. The Ravens pick was a bit of a joke, and it worked out. So hey. The curse works good for something, right? <laughs> uh, hold on, Jory said, hire Rabel and get Tannehill as the quarterback. <laughs> man, Kyle, uh, I'm sure sure it. if you pick them, yeah. if you pick the Chiefs, you might be the most hated man in the sports empire chat. Because the curse at this point, we all know it's real. <laughs> it is. It is absolutely real at this point. <laughs> Look. 
I, I don't know anymore. <laughs> like the Niners one, I actually was winning that one. And then the Lions got that late touchdown to make it a three-point game. So it was, the spread was, I think, seven and a half. They were up ten. I was like, oh, see, I can get one of them. And, of course, the, the script wouldn't allow it as it has all season. The Ravens won. I mean, I didn't even have, like, like any good, you know, analysis for picking the Ravens. I was like, huh, it's their time, I guess. So, you know. <laughs> it indeed was not their time. Yeah, and we'll get into that in a little bit here. But, uh, yeah, so Jake got the Lions, missed the Ravens. Uh, I was both, and then you nailed it with the Lions and the Chiefs. So I just said, kick the freaking field goal. We will we will talk about that. <laughs> uh, Dan, Danny Dan Campbell. I mean, hey. He went with he, – he kept the same energy he's had all season. And, and it blew up his face. But like I said, we'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, we will have our Super Bowl picks, but we'll do that next week because, of course, we have the weekend uh, in between for the Pro Bowl games or I think that's what they call them now, yeah, the Pro Bowl games. I mean, I do watch them, but it's like I feel like they could do a little bit more here. I, I, I don't know. That's probably something we could talk about next week as well. But, oh, Anthony has another question. Do you think there's a chance John Harbaugh will be on, on the hot seat next year? We will come back to that one as well when we talk about the Ravens. Because Okay, yes, I've, I've had some thoughts on that as well. If you saw cheap seats, you might know where I'm going with that. Uh, Sides so says, nah, Jay's good, bro. I'm glad you think that. Anthony, thank uh, you yeah. for all the killer questions, by the way. Thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Keep firing them off. Because we, we definitely love that. All right, so those are our picks. Before we get into Anthony's question about Harbaugh, the Ravens, the Lions, and all that, let's take another uh, quick word from the network. What's up, everybody? It's Control Simpson with Wire to Wire Sports Podcast, where we're going to cover all things breaking news, sports-related. We're going to preview games, and we're also going to give you our reaction to the games that have happened before. You can catch us on Wednesdays from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., and if you miss us there, no worries. You can also catch us on Roku with Northeast Streaming Sports Productions from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Hey, and listen, if you're not into all sports and just NFL, we have Sideline to Sideline. That's on Thursday nights from 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to 8 p.m. We'll break down the NFL week, the Thursday night game, and we'll preview all NFL action. And if you're like me and college football is your fix, tune in every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. for Coast to Coast College Football Pregame Show. We'll review the previous week's action, the day's biggest games. We'll give you our pick and we'll even give you some teams that are on upset alert. And if you don't catch us live, you can download us on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We do also have a YouTube station, Wire to Wire Sports Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Oh, I mean, these two images are, are just fitting for how both of their Sundays ended up. Got Zay Flowers holding his hands over his, his, his face. Just, oh, how could I do that? And Josh Reynolds, he had a pretty eventful fourth quarter. <laughs> I mean, that, that that image of his face right there is perfect. It's, you know, crazy. But... We'll start with the Ravens on this one. What went wrong for the Ravens on Sunday? Oh, man. 
poor Ravens. I know, I know, Jory's heartbroken for him, but uh, I know Kyle. I know you're, you're you probably cried over the Ravens' loss. I lost some sleep. I poured one out. I poured one out for him. What went wrong for the Ravens? Just execution, decision making. Why not a little bit of ever everything? Chiefs just played a cleaner game. At the end of the day, that's kind of, that's just what happened. Poor decisions like Lamar Jackson. I know people were saying it should have been pass interference. Lamar Jackson should not be, you know, awarded for throwing the ball into triple coverage. The one thing you have to make sure to do, make sure Travis Kelsey didn't get into space. They consistently let Travis Kelsey get into open in the open field. And then Zay Flowers managed to be their best and worst skill position player at the same time. He looked great. He had to do that like 130 receiving yards or something of that sort. But then got called for just the stupidest taunting penalty. And I don't mean it was a stupid call. I just mean it was stupid for Zay Flowers to get called for that penalty. Like, I don't know what he expected, pushing somebody down, spinning the ball and taunting over him. And then Ravens fans are trying to complain that that, that shouldn't have been called. And then he fumbles out of the end zone. Guys, if you, it was just the Ravens' poor execution, poor decision making, and poor game planning. At the end of the day, it looked like they wanted to prove that Lamar was more than just a mobile quarterback. There are only three early down runs by Gus Edwards all game. That is a veer off from what they normally do. They just more interested in propping up Lamar than actually winning this football game, and it, it came back to bite them. I like that. I mean, that's 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 a lot of the the takes I would have had. I mean, look, looking at the game, if I told you a quarterback was going to throw 48 times, you'd probably say Patrick Mahomes. Well, they let Lamar throw the ball 48 times. Only ran it six with running backs. Look, I, I just don't understand why. I think it is like you said. They heard a lot of people questioning the validity of his, you know, MVP that he's probably going to get, and they wanted to prove a point. Because bad enough they had him drop back 48 times, but a lot of those were passes outside the numbers, where a lot of people say is his weakest point. And he didn't really shut those critics up on Sunday because he missed a lot of throws outside the numbers. You know, he missed Aguilar. God forbid if Aguilar would have caught it, but he missed him. He missed Hill. He missed Odell. Like, he missed everybody. Then it turned into him dropping back, hesitating on whether to take off or not. When have we seen Lamar do that? Most times he'll drop back and he'll he's ready to just take off because that's what he's comfortable doing. Against Kansas City, he wasn't. Kansas City switched up their defense. They stopped blitzing him. Only rushed three or four. He had no idea what to do because then he hesitated even more on whether to run or force throws. So, you know, Todd Monken, who was supposed to be the savior since Greg Roman was, you know, public enemy number one in Baltimore. I could probably safely say Greg Roman would never have called a game like that and allow Lamar to drop back 48 times. Not a chance. So, obviously, Greg Roman wasn't the issue. And I think another part of this is, with the way that game plan was going, could Lamar not go up to Munkin and say, let's run the ball more? Does he not have that power? Or was he fine dropping back 48 times because he thought in his mind 
he could outdo Patrick Mahomes by throwing the ball all over the field. I don't know. Yes, he threw for 272 yards, but if you watch that game, he was awful. Plain and simple. Like, F-grade awful. And yes, it was only 17-10, to 10, but that was not because of Lamar. That defense, for all their, you know, penalties and everything, they stepped up. They did their job. Lamar failed playing. Lamar and Munkin failed Baltimore. Ravens fans don't want to hear that, but yeah, Lamar was the problem. It continues to be the problem in Baltimore. And it's funny because Munkin was doing so good all year. Like he was calling some phenomenal games. That coaching staff was phenomenal at making adjustments. I praised them last weekend for making the proper adjustments they needed. And then they proceeded to come out this week and just not do any of that. They saw that the game plan wasn't working. What do they do? Nothing. They didn't make any meaningful adjustments. They tried to outduel Patrick Mahomes by airing out the ball, which thankfully the defense is elite enough to hold Mahomes to 17 points, which should be enough for them to win. But yeah. let's be real. Don't get into a battle against Patrick Mahomes on who can throw the ball better. Let's not have an air raid battle against Mahomes. It's like challenging the 2017 Warriors on who can shoot the three ball better. You're never going to win that battle. So it, it was just a schematic failure, and then Lamar just complicated things by throwing the ball as poorly as he did. Yeah. And Romo pointed out early on in that game, uh, was Willie Gay wasn't playing. And he's normally the guy who spies athletic quarterbacks. So did Baltimore not know that? Did they not know he wasn't out there? Like that should have been part of the game plan and been like, oh, their fastest linebacker or whatever is not in the game. Let's let's test their linebacker speed. I, I don't know. Look, the, the, the Ravens did it to themselves. You know, those of you listening or watching, don't don't. Buy into the stuff they're putting on social media. No, the, the NFL's not against them. Their team just wasn't good enough, okay? And until they come to grips with the fact that Lamar is not that guy that you want just throwing the ball over the field, they're going to find themselves searching for that Super Bowl title next year, the year after. As many years as Lamar can hold up, they're going to find themselves in the same situation. So I guess to bring it back to Anthony's question, should Harbaugh be on the hot seat next season? Should he be on the hot seat? I think that he sh- he's been a great coach. He's gotten him, you know, through up, the great grind of the regular season. He's done a lot of good, but that being said, I think his sheets should be uncomfortable. I think that okay. his sheets should be hot, if not – if anything, warm enough that you got to make sure that he's not, you know, getting complacent. Like, John Harbaugh is a good coach. He's done a lot of good there, but maybe they need a new voice. Maybe they just need something new. Otherwise, they shouldn't have had signed Listen, before the year started, I called him one ACL Odell because he was done. We all knew it. Ravens fans didn't believe me, and it turns out, the guy who's had like three major knee injuries in the last three years is washed. Go figure. But yeah, I think that John Harbaugh should be definitely be given another year for sure. But if next year doesn't go as planned, 
Maybe uh, maybe next offseason we should be asking these questions. I mean, Harbaugh's been there. Was it sixteen seasons now? Like he's been there a while. Usually, once you're creeping up on twenty years with one organization, the talk has to turn into is a new voice needed. And look, he got his Super Bowl title a few years ago with Flacco. But as I said before, if you remember that run, they got lucky in Denver. I'm pretty sure that was the run where Flacco threw that you know deep. Um, passed on the right sideline and the safety took the weirdest route ever to it. And I want to say it was Jacoby Jones who caught it and ran it for a touchdown. Yeah. So if that uh, secondary player does his job, Baltimore would not have won the Super Bowl that year. So it's not like they were a dominant that year either. They, they had a little luck, which I mean, to win a Super Bowl, you kind of do have to get a little lucky here and there, but it's not like, it was a great showing from Harbaugh then either. So, yeah, he's, he's definitely going to have to um, step it up next year. And Munkin, too. Like, you, you can't have a 48-pass attempt game from Lamar and think you're going to beat a Kansas City in the playoffs. That's wild. And it was like raining conditions, too. I thought when they said it was raining, I thought, you know, the Ravens were going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball and see if that gets them. But no, they did the opposite. Aside from that, Lamar's a running back. I mean, look at the performance. He's basically a wildcat quarterback. I'll say Lamar's in a weird spot. Like, you know, he's he's definitely can sling the football. He's, he's a perfectly yeah. good passer. He just is not a good passer in high volume. You mix in that, you know, you mix in that RPO, you start mixing in the run game, that's when he becomes really unstoppable, and that's when he's MVP, Lamar. But if you become predictable and you're trying to just drop back and pass the ball like we saw 40, 50 times, you're, you're never going to win that way, Lamar. That's just not his strength. So, yeah, I I wouldn't say he's a running back. I still think he's, you know, an elite quarterback in this league. But there's also a certain way you have to use him. you got to get the run game going. Mm-hmm. Can't just ask him to drop back and expect to win because then you're not using him to his strengths. Yeah. Like if you look at Lamar's passes, a lot of them are slant routes, curl routes, drag routes. All things that are kind of over the middle. But once again, they started throwing outside the numbers all randomly. And look, Odell did get behind the defense on one of them, and Lamar was just inaccurate. And let's, as Jory said, all we know Odell for in that game was he was a part of the, the dance when Zay Flowers scored the touchdown, which even on that play, he only scored that touchdown because I can't remember who it was who came in on him, had a sack on him, and missed, and then Flowers broke off his route and just ran down the field, and Lamar threw it up to him. That's the only way they scored that touchdown. You know, you look at the pass he threw to Zay Flowers – when it looked like Flowers was going to get into the end zone. He threw like a balloon ball that took forever to get to Zay Flowers, which cut down his chance of getting in the end zone. 54 blue sack. Okay, I'm trying to think of who 54 is. That's not Tranquil, is it? I think Tranquil is like 53. But yeah, and I think I think he, he had a couple of other opportunities in that game. I think 54 
kept coming in on blitzes and kept missing Lamar. And then after that, it was like Carl Laftis or something decided, okay, I'm just going to run at Lamar, run to where he is, and then just grab him instead of like trying to run through him because he just kept ducking them and then would extend the play out. So we'll see with the Ravens. So let's go to the other team. We'll come back to the Ravens a little bit later as well. So now with the Lions, what went wrong? <laughs> Execution. Getting too cute. They um wasn't there a problem with Mars back? Yes. Yeah. There was. The not trusting their kicker. Listen, that there's a lot of things that went wrong. It I think going for it on uh fourth down too many times. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. just take the three. A lot of guys are saying, well, their kicker couldn't have made some of those kicks. Their kicker just like piped one in from 55 two weeks ago. The dude can make kicks. For some reason, Dan Campbell just gets too cute a lot of the times. He wants to go for it. And unfortunately, a sequence there in the third quarter where he went for it, and I think that was one of the Josh Reynolds drop. Niners score a touchdown. Next possession, Jameer Gibbs fumbles. They get mm-hmm. another touchdown. Unfortunately, that decision came back to bite them because the momentum just completely flipped in their favor. And at that point, it was a completely uphill battle for the Lions. So it's just a mix of poor execution with the drops and just bad coaching that right at the end. Yeah, and also with your sequence, the drive after, Reynolds dropped the third down pass when he was wide open. So yeah, that was three drives in a row where two were drops and then one was the fumble that completely changed how that game went. And Mo, you know, Niners fans said thanks for quitting on the run game lines. Odd enough, the Ravens didn't use their run game. They lose. The Lions had a great running game early, went away from it. They lost. What's the moral of the story? Run the ball. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. The, the Lions, you know, it doesn't take away from the season they had, of course. But you know, Dan Campbell and, and this like new age thing with going for it on fourth down is the new hip thing to do. And that's fine, but you have to understand the situation of the game, the magnitude of the game you're in. You're in the NFC championship game. Yes, you can go for it, but it has to be the right time because uh, like the chat saying, taking those points in a playoff game of this magnitude is just pivotal especially when it would have put you up three scores and you went for it anyway and blew that opportunity. Because if you're up 17 as opposed to 14, who knows how this game plays out. But, you know, Dan Campbell, he, he did this all year. So if you want to be pro-Campbell, you'll say he stuck to what he did and he lost this time. And sure, you can say that, but... Yeah, I it's 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 just a tough way to lose it. Because I, I remember watching that game, and I was just like, "Yeah, the Niners are folding right now, and the Lions are about to run away with this game." And like you said, it took a couple of Reynolds drops, and that game completely got away from them. And once momentum slipped from them, they were never going to get it back. Because Brock Purdy turned it on later in the game. And shout out to Brock Purdy as well. He was having a terrible game. And uh, he started using his legs a little bit more. So once again, Brock Purdy used his legs, got the win. Lamar didn't, Ravens lose. 
I'm, I'm getting Brock Purdy all. back to, to the Ravens. <laughs> no, I so, say, I'm say Brock Purdy all the credit in the world. He he will play terrible for three quarters, but when you really need him, he's there. So that that's something I'll give him all the credit that's in the matters. world for. And with Dan Campbell, the the one coaching decision I really didn't agree with that was mind boggling to me was in the fourth quarter. They're down ten. Anthony Ferksker, who, by the way, should have scored, but unfortunately has, like, the mobility and turning radius of, like, a cruise ship, only gets it down to the two. Yeah. I, at that point, I would have kicked the field goal, and then at least I would still have my three timeouts, but Dan Campbell runs the ball, which is really risky, which I get it. Your runs have been effective all game. But you still only have, you know, a little over a minute to go. The fact that he ran the ball, didn't get it, then was forced to use a timeout was just so backbreaking to me. Because I was like, all right, you're relying on the onside kick, which has like, what, historically speaking, a 2% chance to really connect? So And with the new rules and how you have to line up with kickoffs, it's even less of a chance to get it. Yeah, so I, I think that's another... I think that's another position where that he should have just honestly I would have kicked the field goal and then given myself at least a chance. And I think by force letting the clock run there, they took themselves out of that game. Yeah, and like you you would like to say it was the inexperience in him and, and hopefully he gets another opportunity at it. But as Campbell said at his uh post game press conference you know, this this might be their one chance, and they may have blown it, which leads to the next question. Between the Ravens and the Lions, who has a better chance of getting back to this point next season? And if you want to answer for another question next season or within the next five seasons, which one has a better chance? Well, actually, we'll stick with next season because five seasons down the road, so many things can happen. Let's go next season. I'm going to go with Baltimore. Because I'm, okay. I'm not sure, I'm not sure of the free agent situation. But all I know is most of that defense should still be there, and that defense is that defense alone is good enough to get them there. Lamar Jackson, if for all of his faults, he's still good enough to get them to that point. Can he win once he gets to this point? That remains to be seen. But when you have a defense that is as elite as the Ravens, which I think it was their best defense since we saw Ed Reed and Ray Lewis roam the field. When you have a I defense this dominant, I think this that by default almost can get them back into the AFC Championship game. Now it's just, can Lamar step it up to win it? Because I think they'll be back. But now the question is, can they push through? So I will tell you this. The Ravens will have $5.6 million in salary cap space. And I can tell you they're free agents. There, there's some interesting names on here. Uh, Odell Beckham, whatever. Gus Edwards. Patrick Queen. Uh, Aguilar, if you care. Uh, Clowney. Darby. Basically, every running back they have is a free agent now. Uh, Matto, Matto Beaky, uh, I hope I said that right. Uh, Duvernay. Yeah, that's kind of their biggest names there. I think Patrick Queen is gone unless they're cutting somebody like 
I'm not sure who who they can cut. I'm not sure what the Ravens' books look like, but one of their higher mm-hmm. paid guys. I think that's 12 to 15 mil right there. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Matabiki was really good for him this year. So I'd be looking to resign yeah. him too. But you keep that defense intact. That that defense alone can get you pretty much back to where you were on Sunday. Okay. Uh, Lamar's no Superman. It takes a team period. True. But Lamar does have the ball in his hand on every snap, and he wasn't good enough. So uh, the team aspect of that, I get it. But when we're talking about the quarterback, yeah, you definitely have to look at their play as well. So my only thing about the Ravens is this season, uh, what's up, Aaron? Patrick Queen, future Eagle. Sure. Um, but yeah, when you look at this season, the way everything bounced, bounced perfectly for Baltimore. You know, Burrow, gone. Watson with Cleveland, gone. I mean, the Steelers still won 10 games, and they had Kenny Pickett and Mason Rudolph as quarterback. Pretty fortunate for Baltimore. You look at Buffalo, meltdown in the playoffs. The Dolphins couldn't handle the cold. Um, the Chiefs were seemingly the worst Chiefs team we had seen in a couple of years. They couldn't handle that. But now you have Harbaugh getting into the Chargers. You was, you would expect that team to be better. You know, Antonio Pierce is now the coach in Vegas. We saw what he did the second half of the season. Who knows what they look like next year? So I just think collectively around the Ravens and the AFC, there's an upgrade. So I feel like their road is going to be a little bit tougher than Detroit, where just looking at the division, their biggest roadblock will probably be Green Bay because of the steps we saw from Jordan Love and what we would project for them next season. But Minnesota, a lot of question marks. We don't know what that team's going to look like. And Chicago, if they do what we all think and move on from Justin Fields, you have to think next year they take a step back. But then outside of that, it's like, you still have the Cowboys with their issues in the playoffs. You know, the Eagles faded down the stretch. Can they recover next year? I might go with the Lions to get back. Now, I would hope Dan Campbell learns a little bit from this season and, you know, reigns in the whole going for it on fourth down thing. But, yeah, I I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll pick the Lions. Although I probably should look at their cap situation as well, too to understand that, but... Yeah. Well, I think they need to oh, pay Jared Goff soon. I think the Lions... I think he's a free agent either this year or next. And that's going to be interesting to see. How much do you have to pay Jared Goff to, to bring him back? Like, if they give Goff, like, some crazy, you know, Lamar-type money, like, you might have to drug test people in the, in the Lions front <laughs> office, but... You know, if he can come back on a, like, decent number, yeah, I'd be open to it. Depending on, I mean, Hendon Hooker's the backup. He's coming off the injury from Tennessee. I don't know what he looks like. I don't know if he's ready. But, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing golf back in Detroit. I, I, he had a really good season. Um, You give Lamar weapons and still haven't done. That's very true. And you gave him a guy who was supposed to spread the offense out. Oh, Todd, baby, what needs to be done in Buffalo for them to break the barrier? It's something that's always bothered me for some reason being so close. 
Such Bumble's a interesting. That's tough. It's such a tough question, right? I think with Buffalo, you just – I almost think it's not necessarily a matter of you just got to get some big game performers on that roster. Josh Allen shows up for big yeah. games. But the Bills' defense struggled hard against the Chiefs again, which I can't really blame them for. But you got Diggs didn't show up at all. Like, I just think you got to get some big game performers. And as weird as that is, I'm not sure who, you know, that would be. But you just got to get some guys that really thrive under the spotlight because a lot of these guys that they have just seem to crumble, not named Josh Allen, who played phenomenal. Yeah, and they're another team that could benefit from a dedicated game plan that has a running game in it. They're another team that likes to get away from the run a little bit too easy for me, which puts more on Josh Allen, which then leads to him turning the ball over. So I think if they can find a better balance offensively, they'll be better off for it. And then defensively, they have to get, well, Milano back, uh, Tredavious White, but you got to see what he's going to look like after that injury. I don't think they're far off, but then again, it's like they are kind of far off because, like you said, they need big game performers. And Diggs, look, Diggs is supposed to be your number one, but the way that he played uh, this season at the end of the year and then in the postseason, yeah, you, you got to find somebody else probably. And not to mess with him. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I'll say, not to mention, too, on the defensive side of the ball, you're paying Von Miller to do cardio. I didn't hear him about him at yeah. all this entire Buffalo season. So I know he's coming off an injury, yeah. but they got to ask themselves, is this a one-time anomaly, or did that knee injury zap Von Miller of that quick first step he was so feared for? Good point. That's a good point. Uh, so I did look up. Detroit's uh, free agents while we were talking about that. I mean, they have like uh, Gardner Johnson, Emmanuel Mosley, Josh Reynolds. I mean, sorry to pick on you, but you're now a free agent. Uh, Graham Glasgow, Jonah Jackson, uh, Donovan Peoples Jones. James Houston. I guess that's probably your biggest names there. I will give uh, Houston credit. He was on a nice little hot streak before the injury. Unfortunately, the injury wiped out his season, but he was a difference maker. If you can get him back on a good deal, that would benefit them tremendously. Hmm. I'll try to see how much room they have. Uh, They will have... Wow. Apparently, they have $61 In cat space. Well, uh, when uh, that that definitely helps their their chances to get back. (laughs) Well, as long as they spend it correctly. As long as when brutally honest sports, as he says, when uh, Jared Golf takes up forty five of that, I'm not sure how much he'll actually have. (sighs) Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, that's what the Daniel Jones thing just throws off the whole quarterback market. Because, yeah, if I'm Jared Goff and I walk in there, I'm like, let's say the Lions go, we'll give you 35 years. Like, uh, Daniel Jones gets, gets 40. 35 is a no-go. They're like, we'll give you 40. That's what Daniel Jones gets. 
I need more than that. So if you're going to pay Jared Goff like 50, I don't know about that, which kind of goes to prices. Like, what was the point in drafting Hooker? I mean, a Hooker was a guy that before the injury was a Heisman candidate. So he definitely has talent there. And you, if you sign Goff to like a four or five year deal, by the time you see Hooker, like his career is going to be almost over sitting so long. I think then Hooker at that point, I think you'd have to probably move him. I think with Hooker, they drafted him to replace Golf down the line to recover and then learn. But then the issue is Jared Golf kind of balled out. So that kind of puts them in a real bad conundrum. It, it's almost like what we saw with uh it's almost like what we saw with Jordan Love, right? You draft them mm-hmm. to eventually replace. Well, in this situation, I'm guessing they thought Hooker would replace Jared Goff much sooner, except Jared Goff balled out, so now they have a tough choice. Do you extend him for 40, 45 mil a year? Or do you trust the rookie on a team that just went to the NFC Championship game? And I think in this instance, they're going to be forced to pay Jared Goff. And it's going to cost them at least 41 mil. Uh, Sidon said, thanks for taking... Yeah, of course. Yeah, Sidon, come on. That's what we do. We love questions from you guys. Anthony has one himself. If you're the Rams front office, do you keep... No, not at all. The guy just can't stay healthy, unfortunately. No. I mean, there's one way, maybe. Little money, low risk. You put him in a running back tandem with somebody. Try to get a healthy season out of him. But, yeah, he's not going to be, like, some priority to bring back. No. If he's willing to take a contract that isn't guaranteed, sure. Yeah. Yeah, uh, prove me. Uh, prove it contract. Yeah, sure. Um, Sajin, if I'm Goff, I would take whatever to get me the ring. Now, that's an interesting point. If Goff is willing to take less to bring in more free agents or re-sign some guys, then more power to him, and Detroit would be in a better situation for it. But we know not everybody's gonna gonna take that approach. Uh, Daniel Jones, yes. <laughs> hey, Freddie thought he was gonna be an MVP candidate this year. <laughs> and a rush for fourteen hundred yards. Yes, I I remember that number. J.K. I'm made out of glass. Dobbins, yeah. And the Ravens have five million in cast face. They can't do anything without restructuring somebody. They have five point six million. Got to give him that point six. That could be the difference. But yeah, they're gonna have to approach somebody. Where I don't know who. Mm-hmm. I'll say the Lions also got to keep a lot of that uh, cap space available too, because I just looking at it, Aiden Hutchinson in the next two, I think it's two off seasons is gonna need a new deal. Yeah, I think you can look to extend him after this next following off season. So. You got you got to keep a nice chunk of that because what Hutchinson goes for 25, 30 mil. That'll be interesting. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, so you think the Ravens? I think the Lions. I think uh, I believe Sajin and Anthony picked the Lions in the chat. Uh, Aaron, I know you might have come in at the end of the question. The question was between the Ravens and the Lions, who gets back to this point next season? So, like I said, Brett's going with the Ravens. I've got the Lions. Watch Odell go to the Dolphins or the Cowboys. Odell to the Cowboys actually seems like too good to not happen. 
that's a Jerry Jones move right there. When will it be time to pay Brock Purdy? Now, that's another good question. What do you give Mr. Irrelevant who's taking you to to, super, to well to a Super Bowl and an NFC Championship game? I, I don't know. Purdy, Purdy's going to get paid big time, but Purdy strikes me as a very humble guy, so maybe he takes a pay cut. Like, we're talking about Jared Goff taking a pay cut, which could be true. I think Brock Purdy will. Something strikes me that he will. I can see that. Uh, half the Ravens' decent pieces will be free agents. Yep. They have some tough decisions to make. If the 49ers win the Super Bowl, if you know, you know. All right. <laughs> okay. They won't win the Super Bowl, according to the Ravens fans. There's a conspiracy. Taylor Swift's going to be there. The NFL will yep. not let Taylor Swift lose the Super Bowl. I mean, the Chiefs. Sorry, sorry. Right. Uh, let's see. Right with you, Kyle, even though I trust the Raven organization more than the Lions, but the AFC is harder. I mean, you can trust the organization. The coaching staff, after what they did against the Chiefs, got a lot of questions about them. Who knows? Maybe maybe, maybe this will be the moment when Lamar goes into the lab, works on the accuracy, whether it's footwork, arm motion or something, and he comes back next year and he looks like you know, the second coming of Tom Brady. I doubt it, but you never know. All right, let's go to our next topic. Actually, let's, let's take a word, uh, take a break for a word from the network, and we'll be right back. Hey, y'all, I'm Keith. And I'm Jory, and tune in to Hoop Dreams and Touchdown Queens every Saturday at 5 p.m. over on Sports Empire Network. And don't forget, also watch us on Roku TV at Northeast Streaming Productions. Uh, so tune in. All right. Hoop Dreams, Touchdown Queens with our very own Jory and Key, who you see them in the chat. Make sure you check them out on Saturdays. Great show. I tune in. I guarantee you'll enjoy yourself. But we're not going to make our pick, but... I had I had to look up the line just to see where it was, and as of today, the Niners are a point and a half favorite against the Chiefs. My only question: Why well, two of them? One, do you agree with the Niners being, I guess, the opening favorite? And then two, do you think by the time we get to the actual game, the Niners will still be the favorite? This one's tough, right? Because the 49ers, I think, are clearly the more skilled team. But at the same time, watching this entire playoffs, I almost think the Chiefs should be the favorites. This is a 49ers team that spent the entire postseason playing from behind, mm-hmm. which, okay, it worked against the Packers. It worked against the NFC North. Great. Now, if you try that again, which I think is a very real possibility because, you know, old mm-hmm. habits die hard, you try playing behind against Patrick Mahomes? It's a death sentence. So do I think that, do I blame them for putting the 49ers as the favorites? Absolutely not. I think there's no argument who the more talented team is. With the way this playoffs has gone, I would almost consider the Chiefs to be the favorites. They've played the cleanest football out of any team so far. Yeah, that I do agree with. Uh, Yeah, the Niners have been playing with fire each week. 
and luckily they haven't been burnt completely yet. But yeah, now this is a step up in competition against Kansas City. Kansas City's battle tested, been here, done that. They've you know had a tough road to get here. Plus, the Niners have you know the Shanahan effect. Last last you know last time Shanahan was in the Super Bowl, not his best showing. So I, I also said last night that you know looking at this game. Shanahan has the most pressure on him to do well because of that Atlanta Super Bowl. And if you look at the 49ers play, the pressure is going to be on them to actually start fast and, you know, put together four quarters of good football. They can't wait till the fourth quarter to try that against Kansas City. They might find themselves down three scores by then. So I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, I get, I guess I get why the Niners open as a favorite. Because like you said, looking at roster to roster, you'd probably say the Niners are the better team. But I would not be shocked if by the time we get to the game that the Chiefs were the favorite. Maybe like a point favorite or something like that. Uh, Anthony said, do we hear the rumors about Chase Young? I mean, I know, Brett, you put in the chat something about him and, you know, not necessarily putting full effort on uh, certain plays that kind of got him in trouble with the Niners. And then you had a video with it, which, yeah, was was definitely damning to see, you know, what he was doing. I yeah. don't know if that's what Anthony's talking about here, but, yeah. So I can see what they're talking about, Anthony, right? Go back and watch the Lions game. I'll even give you the time because I pulled up the video because I can't really put mm-hmm. it up right now. 5.59 second quarter, that Jameer Gibbs touchdown – you can see the effort they're talking about. Chase Young is literally has an easy chance to make a play. He should have been easily been able to bring down Jameer Gibbs, but he's jogging after the play. He's not putting in the effort. He looks like he's walking. He made he made Chase Claypool look like an absolute tryhard. So I can see it, and if he, I can see them giving him a chance. But if he pulls the taking plays off stunt like he did against the Lions. Yeah, he absolutely should go to the bench. No question about it. Yeah, because, I mean, look, it's it's fine. Well, not fine, but, you know, you got away with it. NFC title game. Super Bowl, like, you, you can't do stuff like that because it's not guaranteed you're going to get another shot at it. And for Chase Young, who spent all those years in Washington, you know, playing, getting, you know, he's getting sacks or whatever on a team. That was never going to go anywhere. He was gifted an opportunity to play with a team that's made the Super Bowl. He should give the most effort in this game in a couple of weeks if he really wants to win a ring, if he wants to be known as a winner. Because if he does more stuff like that, he'll just be seen as a guy that's ultra-talented but just doesn't have it. And and not only that, too. It's but to be his narrative, then he can keep going. And not even oh, just like for being a winning a ring or being a winner. This dude's going to be looking for a big paycheck soon. Yeah. And now if the whole world watches him jogging after players in the Super Bowl and not giving much effort, teams are going to more than see that. And they're going to be like, do we really want to shell out, you know, let's say $20 million a year for a guy who's not going to give maximum effort? Absolutely mm-hmm. not. So if I'm Chase Young, I'm doing everything in my power. I am sprinting. I'm playing 120%. Because I need to shed that label. I got to show everybody, hey, 
That's a BS narrative. Watch me hustle. So I not only do it for the ring, do it for your future contract. Yeah, Chase Young, you don't want to be Albert Hainsworth. Like that's I mean, he got his money and he kind of got even worse with the effort and he was out of the league pretty quickly. But um also another name to look at. Jadavian Clowney was a guy who, you know, didn't have necessarily the best reputation of you know with him. Although I guess the Chiefs, he did have that bonehead uh, rough in the passer penalty when he clearly went high on Patrick Mahomes. I know Ravens fans were a little bit caught off guard by that one, but I mean, he literally jumped into Mahomes' helmet. They're going to call that 10 times out of 10. Uh, yeah. Uh, some of those calls from the Ravens, man. I just couldn't believe what I was watching. I love how you make the uh, Albert Ainsworth reference, and Jory said he learned that loafing in Washington when that's exactly where Albert Ainsworth went to loaf. So, uh, yeah, Jory, you're definitely on to some of that one. But I think people expect a lot more out of Jadavion Clowney than what he really is. I think Jadavion Clowney is a really good run stopper who can rush the passer. He's not an elite pass rusher all the time, and a lot of people think, because oh, they'll be like, oh, did he see that hit in college? He completely killed yes. that running back. Oh, yeah, he had that, like, one double-digit sack season with, like, I think it was, was it the Texans, I think it was? But at the end I of the day, you've got to know that he's not, he's not necessarily an elite pass rusher. He's more of a run stopper who can get after the quarterback. There's a big difference between the two. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's all the topics that we had. You know, if, you know, Anthony Sajan or whatever, want to throw a couple more questions in the chat, we can definitely answer some more. Like I said, in terms of topics, all tapped out. Although I did have one that I just thought about. What do you think about this Steph Curry, Sabrina Ionesco thing? The three-point, because it, it's apparently official at this point. They're going to do this at the three-point contest. She's going to shoot from the WNBA line with the WNBA, WNBA ball. Steph will shoot from the NBA line with the NBA ball. It's going to be for charity, so I feel like you can't be too upset about it. But what do you think about that? I think it's fun. I, I like it. Like This is something we've been talking about for a while. I don't got a problem with it. I think doing events like this is great. I think this is what All-Star Weekend should be about, having fun competitions like this. And people questioned after Sabrina, I think, what she did. She made, like, pretty much literally every single ball in the three-point contest. Or pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> They're questioning if she could shoot better than Steph. So, like, in a three-point contest setting. So, now we can mm -hmm. see. In a three-point contest, who's the better shooter? Okay, so then my counter would be, would you rather see Sabrina versus Steph, or would you rather see them – bring in a Caitlin Clark and have her go against Sabrina. Let me give you the third option. Why not all three? All three of them, yeah. Like, <laughs> let's just make it a party. Let's just bring in all the best three-point yeah. shooters, regardless of, you know, league, and really make it fun. Let's let's go over to Europe. Let's invite some of their best three-point shooters. Like, I think that would just make it even more fun. WNBA, college ball. Bring some of the college men's yeah, right. Do it all. Yeah, I, I did think of a topic, and I saw people get so riled up over this, and I wanted mm -hmm. to 
ask you, Kyle. So, okay, Udonis Haslam said that in a shoot in a shooting contest, Duncan Robinson could beat Ke- would beat Kevin Durant in a shooting contest. And I saw a lot cool. of people get riled up over that, and I wanted to get your take on it. I mean, look, Udonis Haslam. Bleeds, he breathes, he drinks heat culture. I feel like Durant would take Duncan Robinson. So I don't know. Something about Duncan Robinson, I just, I just haven't been impressed with him. I feel like he's not really that consistent of a shooter. So I think it's wild that Haslam even threw that out there. Although he's been going kind of wild the last few weeks. He had the whole stuff about Bill Russell and all this kind of stuff, like. Maybe Haslam should just go back to the bench. At least we didn't hear from him. Now that he's actually retired, he's talking way too much. Uh, but, yeah, I yeah, give me Kevin Durant. Easy. Yeah, I, I think that Duncan Robinson would give him a much bigger fight than a lot of people expect because they literally pay that man to do one thing. He's like the 50th most accurate shooter in NBA history. So I found it funny that people got so riled up by that. Like, if it's pure catch and shoot, like just shooting the ball, mm-hmm. Duncan has a perfectly fine chance to beat him in a shooting contest. If, do I would I pick him? No, but at the same time, we've seen like guys like Joe Harris beat Steph Curry in the three point contest. Mm-hmm. So if Duncan catches fire, why not? And it's it's something people got heated over, and I didn't get it. <laughs> I mean, look, some people just get heated, just get heated. I, I yeah, I've learned that. But we do have a few questions here in the chat. Uh, maybe these will be the last three before we get out of here. So we'll start with Sajin here. How do you think Stroud fares next season? Will he push the Texans further down the stretch or a down year? That's interesting because we have seen some players hit like the sophomore slump or whatever. I think because of the like infrastructure in Houston, you know, with D'Amico Ryans and everything that's going on there, I think Slowick staying at least for right now would be big for Stroud's development. I would expect him to kind of duplicate what he did this year. You know, we'll have to see turn, you know, come the playoffs if they do make it. Cause we did talk earlier about the AFC being tougher. So even if they miss the playoffs, I don't think it's going to be because his play necessarily takes a step back. I just think it'll be because some of the teams that didn't make it this year, they get better. But, yeah, I, I think Stroud has a similar, if not better, season next year. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine the Texans have tons of cap space to really add offensive talent around them. Tank Dell will be back. So I think that – I think he'll be even better. Now, I still think expectations need to be tempered a little bit on how, how well will he do. Don't expect, like – Patrick Mahomes massive on a good year numbers, but I think he'll come. He'll show that. I think he'll show improvement. I think he'll put up better numbers than last year, and I think the third year is when he really explodes. And the Texans have $66 million in cap space. Ooh. So, yeah, they, they can definitely do some things. Uh, Aaron's question. Other than the Chiefs, who do you see winning the Super Bowl next season? Ooh. Aaron, Aaron, that's a Way too early. Super Bowl predictions. I like it. Go back up. I, I do. <laughs> uh, 
let's see. I'm seeing Patriots Cowboys. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it's so to be funny. honest with you. Oh, what? I'll say. Let's say it's I funny. Mean, all the teams I'm thinking of are like all in the AFC outside of like the 49ers. Yeah. If I did sit here and make a way too early prediction, I'd probably say. Maybe the Bengals out of the AFC. Of course, that whether they keep Higgins or not would be, you know, big on that. And then probably then spending a little money on the defense. But I'll go Bengals versus. Ah, man. I'll go Bengals Eagles. I'll, I'll say the Eagles figure out their issues and. Right the ship. So I'll go Bengals Eagles. Whew, way too early prediction. All right. Uh give me this is oh this is tough. I will take besides the Chiefs. I'm gonna go bold here. All right. We like bold here. We do. Out of the NFC. I think I'll be boring in the NFC. Give me the 49ers. Out of the AFC, that's where I'll go bold. I'll take the Jets. I guess. Give me Aaron Rodgers comes back and he elevates the offense enough that the defense doesn't have to carry the full load. Garrett Wilson and him should be a deadly duo. Get a good enough run game. Okay. I would never pick the Jets, but <laughs> the, the chat knows why I wouldn't. But, uh, yeah, that was a good question. I always like making way too early predictions. It's fun. Uh, Sajin has one. I mean, this is right up your alley, Brett. Will Love extend the Packers next season with the progress that they have made? Yes, yes, you extend Jordan Love, no questions asked, because he's only going to get more expensive. Jordan Love has shown he's shown enough to me that I don't think this is a fluke what he did this year it's the fact that he lost his all pro running back and still put up these numbers he lost his all pro left tackle and put up these numbers this was the youngest and most inexperienced receiving core by far and he's still putting up results Mm -hmm. you know he can reads a lot quicker than even most veteran quarterbacks he can throw off any angle do I think he's got stuff to work on? Absolutely. I said it before, and I'll say it again. He's got to work on footwork, and he's got to get his Brett Favre gunslinger mentality under control. But I think he's shown enough that the Packers should extend him this offseason without hesitation. Yeah, I agree with that. The, the only thing with, with a lot of these young teams would be managing the expectations next year. Because a lot of people are going to go into next year and say, look out for the Packers. And it's whether if that team can handle having someone of a target on their back and still perform and execute. Same with the Texans, the Lions, all these teams. And yeah, but I would extend love. Yeah, he, he did enough this year. Uh, Sajin, thoughts on the Suns' big three and how far will they go? Oh, <laughs> we, we, we love talking Suns' big three on here. I mean, look, if you're going to tell me that Bradley Beal is going to be healthy second round, if 
Bradley Beal struggles to stay in the lineup, they could be a surprise first-round exit. I don't even think it'd be a surprise first-round exit. That I think this team's just a second-round exit, and like you said, if Beal and them can't stay healthy, they're gone in the first. I just can't pinpoint what they do at an elite level to really propel them into a deep playoff run outside of shot creation. They don't – Devin Booker's – a lot farther than I thought he was as a playmaker. I'll give him that. Mm-hmm. But my issue more so comes, first off, these guys like to attack the same area on the court. Their offense can become predictable at times with that. They don't really get to the rim. They like to pull up from the mid-range. I, I can game plan around that. They're excellent shot makers. I'll give them all the credit in the world. But the bigger problem is you know, always going to be defense with them. Yep. Well, they need to stop. What are you doing? Kevin Durant, defensive anchor in year 19? Do you really trust Grayson Allen or Devin Booker or Bradley Beal to get you a stop? Nurkic isn't a good defensive player, unfortunately for them. So defense is going to sink them, but if Beal can't stay healthy, it's going to sink them sooner than everybody thinks. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of pressure on them offensively to be on night in and night out. And that, that might be a tough ask after an 82-game season then the second season of the postseason to, to keep that kind of playoff. So, yeah, neither of us really expect a deep playoff run. But I guess you'll have to say with the NBA, depends on matchups and what happens with other teams. But, yeah, we're not seeing a deep run from them. Uh, Aaron said, let's go Kyle. Fly Eagles fly. Yep. And then Anthony. Well, Divine saying what's going on. Appreciate you tuning in. I saw the Twitch thing, so I, I knew that had to be from, from your Twitch following. Appreciate you tuning in. So do, I guess, direct this at me. Would I still pick Cincy without Higgins and Boyd there? Yes. Now, that would probably change my pick. I'm assuming Higgins probably gets franchise tagged. I don't know. I, I feel like Cincinnati's going to do all they can to keep them together. I mean, their owner basically said that, which kind of led to Mixon taking the the restructured deal that he he had like since he's made it known like they want to keep burrow and the wide receivers together whether or not they can we'll see but yeah if they lose both of them yeah i would probably change my pick to who i don't know might have to revisit this question like if they do lose them somebody would have to ask it again and i might have a different team to pick but i'm assuming they came together so i'll, I'll stick with since Say franchise tag, I think this year was 20 mil about, like, question is, what will it be next year? That'll be interesting, that's for sure. Uh, and Sajans that totally agrees with us on the Suns. Something is feeling after last night's game. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the Suns are going to stay, you know, in the conversation because of the names that they have on that team. You know, they're playing a little bit better right now, but we're not completely sold. The level Unless of shock. They make a move at the deadline that, you know, completely changes the dynamic. Yeah. Uh, okay, Anthony. What NFL team will fall and what team will, ra- will rise from the bottom? Okay, this is another. Let me pull up the standings real quick. <laughs> so a team that will fall. Oh, uh, breaking news, the Baltimore Orioles were just sold. 
Just got that update one minute ago for $1.7 billion. Wow. So first, well, the Wizards are trying to move to Virginia. Baltimore gets sold. What's going on in like the, the, the DM, whatever, DMZ, whatever area they call it? DMV? I don't know what they call it, but yeah. The Orioles get sold. All right. I mean, they finally have some success. Make that money. Trying to find an um, answer to this that isn't boring. Like, I could easily say, I think the Bengals rise from the bottom or the Chargers. But I feel like those are such boring and obvious answers, you know? I'll say, well, I was going to say the Raiders will rise, but I have to know what they're going to do with their quarterback position. Whew. I, uh... You know what? Do you count the Jets as rising from the bottom? Because I just kind of picked them to go to the Super Bowl next year, so they're third. So I, I don't mean, know. That, that technically would have to count. The issue yeah, is there's, I guess we'll use the there's obvious teams with in third and fourth place, like the Bengals and the Chargers, and then everybody else mm-hmm. is just so out there. I'm going to pick an off-the-wall one. Not really off-the-wall, but... uh. Maybe I think the Colts might have a chance at winning their division next year. Give me a healthy year of Anthony Richardson. You know what? I'm going to go a little bold. I'm going to try not to be boring on this one. Yo, give me the Colts. And the but they made the playoffs too. That's the hard part. <laughs> so Aaron, are you saying it is the DMZ? Because I was I, I, look. I know it's DMZ. Well, DMV is the place you go to get your driver's license. I mean. I should have known that that was clearly not the DMV. Um, this is an interesting question. I'm going to be waiting, waiting for, for the Jackson. I mean, you're waiting you're like Jackson. Yeah. Like if Chicago was keeping Justin Fields, I would say Chicago's going to. I can't go there. The Panthers are interesting because they have Bryce Young, but. David Tepper, nobody's going to want to come play for him, and that offense is just so trash. Yeah. Like, the Fa- uh, uh, the Falcons? They were third. Well, I knew that like, was going to be the co- Well, we know the coach is going to be. We have to see who's going to be their quarterback. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to bet on Desmond Ritter. Exactly. I, I, I do right, like so I'll say I'll say the Chargers as a team pointing upward, like you said, that's an easy pick. A team that's gonna drop next year. I'm gonna go on a limb and say I could see the Dolphins dropping a little next year. Yeah, I I think I could see it too. I, when does Tua's contract though? I'm curious because I, I think that's really gonna handicap and end up sink Miami. That's a, that's a good one. Uh, let's see. Oh, the only last guaranteed year in 2024. Okay. That, that contract in the 2024-2025 offseason is going to be the worst contract of that offseason. I think two has already yeah. shown that he can't get it done when it turns the the months of December and January. Mm-hmm. So I, I love the Dolphins pick, and I think they're going to sink themselves by giving a big money contract to Tua when it's not warranted. 
Also doesn't help that they're they're gonna have to shed about fifty million in cap. They're in the negative fifty one million. Hey, you you know my favorite. I mean, the Chargers have, the Chargers have that issue too, but I don't know. I feel like the Chargers find a way out of that. At least they're not the Saints. Did you see the Saints cap number for this year? It's like Brutal. negative. 82 or 83 million. And I was like, how in the world are you that behind? Because the Saints have been a mess since Peyton left. And they just haven't found a way to get completely out from underneath a lot of those contracts. Yeah, they, it's they just wild they, how they, they still do it. Road. They tried to build a contender around Drew Brees and they just keep kicking the can down the road. I think they just yeah. kind of accept it. I think they got to take the hits over the next couple of years and just refresh their books. Yeah, and oddly enough, in that division, you might do a reset and still be competitive, which is crazy. For sure. Another team I think might drop are the Buccaneers. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Bucks are in a weird state too. It's like, do you bring back Baker? If you do, what would you pay him? What do you do? Like Evans and Godwin, it seems like have they hit a ceiling with those two? Do you do do they need to hit a bit of a ref, refresh? I don't know. Yeah, but you move Evans and Godwin, and that entire offense falls off a cliff. That's that's where it yeah. that's where it gets tough for me with that one. What's also like you keep the both of them. Yes, they're good, but good enough to win a Super Bowl. I don't know. A lot of teams have interesting moves they can make this offseason. And we know with the NFL, they're, once the moves start happening, they happen with a big flurry. Uh, if you bring back Baker, you need Mike. Yes, yes, definitely. I will say the conversation would move to Chris Godwin then. Yeah. Say- if you don't bring back Baker, like, you turn it over to Kyle Trask. You're trying another free agent in there. Like, what, what are you doing? Mm, let's see what the Bucks do. Uh, I guess we can do maybe one more question. So I guess the next question that pops up, we'll take it. If not, we'll get out of here. I'll give you about 30 seconds, chat. While we think of a world where Baker Mayfield's not running out on the field with Tampa Bay next season. I think they just need to bring him back. They feed off his energy. He's such a positive for that team. Even if you bring him back and then draft your quarterback of the future to learn behind Baker, like, either way, I think you you have to. Or just how I think the Vikings should bring back Kirk Cousins regardless and then draft their QB of the future. I completely agree with that. I don't look, I I never understood the Kirk Cousins hate. Yes, he's a bit corny, but it's okay. So's Russell Wilson. It's a lot of corny guys in sports. LeBron's corny. Who cares? Like, you know, Kirk Cousins yeah. Kirk Cousins puts up numbers. Speaking of the Lakers, they're losing to the Hawks tonight, which God forbid the Hawks beat the Lakers. They might actually think they have something going in Atlanta. <laughs> All right, here's the final question of the night. What will become of the Panthers? Whew. Absolutely nothing as long as David Tepper's running it. As much as I want to see that franchise you know, succeed, 
they were a fun team to watch when they had guys like Cam Newton and Luke Keekley. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, David Tepper is going to run them into the ground. Nobody's going to want to come play with them. Nobody's going to want to come there. I'm shocked that they convinced the Bucks' offensive coordinator to come there because why come there when you're going to have, like, what, maybe a year, year and a half to turn that franchise around or maybe even shorter, as we saw with Frank Reich. Yeah. So I think the answer is as long as Tepper's still there and he's that involved, I don't think nothing. They won't become anything until he either sells the team or probably more importantly, takes a step back. It's good that you are into your team and you are dedicated, but you got to take a step back. Let these guys do their job. You know, let the pros handle it. Yeah. So, I, I mean, look, they brought Frank Reich in. He wanted C.J. Stroud. Tepper said, we want Bryce Young. So that that obviously that partnership was never going to work. If the guy from Tampa Bay got the job because he told Tepper, I like Bryce Young, I can make Bryce Young work, then the Panthers are already better off today than they were last year. Because that was the biggest issue. Your coach did not like your quarterback. How's he supposed to be enthusiastic to come up with a game plan for that guy? So that would be a step in the right direction. Also, if this is the guy that Tepper wanted, maybe Tepper's more inclined to take a step back and let him do his thing. Issue is he's inexperienced, so we don't even know how good of a head coach he's going to be. So what will become the Panthers? <laughs> it's a big unknown right now. Because we, we, we just have to see how this guy can handle head coaching duties. Because one thing to be an OC, but as a head coach, you have to now delegate defense. You have to delegate on offense. You have to know the defensive game plan. You get the, you know, it's, it's a lot more involved. So if you can handle that, I would say maybe it's 5% brighter in Carolina than last year. And, you know, it's a step in the right direction. But yeah, Bryce Young should be fine. And, you know, maybe Adam Thielen can't be your number one at this point of his career. So get yeah. somebody else in there. You know, give give Bryce Young a young wide receiver to develop with. If they I, I can do that this offseason, I would feel more optimistic about Carolina. They could use a guy like DJ Moore. I know. He'd be he'd be so great in Carolina. Maybe we can uh, Photoshop a jersey with him later. Yes. Uh, all right. I said one. That was the last one. This will be the last one because it'll be like a one-word answer, and then we'll get out of here. Is Belichick done coaching? Sorry for the spelling. You were actually pretty close, so we're not going to kill you for it. Do you think he's done coaching? Yes. I don't. I don't think I anything. No. no? You think he comes back next year? I think he randomly pops up with some job for a year or two, and we're just going to be like, okay. I mean, look, maybe maybe depending on what his gig is this season, maybe that might change my mind. Because like you said, if he's doing some show where he's like teaching what's going on on the field, he may have too much fun doing that that he may just stick with it. But if he's literally – out of sight, out of mind for a year, I think he, he, he pops up somewhere coaching next year. Fair enough. Uh, no. Hey, side to we do we definitely appreciate the questions. 
But uh, yeah, I, look, it was a fun way to end the show. Questions from you guys. We definitely love the interaction with you all. That's that's a staple of the big three. So uh, make sure you guys come back next week, Tuesday. Bring the same energy and questions. <laughs> Y'all still going. I drove all the way home. Hey, we are here. Your late night drive entertainment and, and place to get your news. So, yes, we're still going, but we're getting out of here now. Uh, like I said, Jake couldn't make it tonight, but, hey, it didn't, it didn't take away from how fun of a show it was. So appreciate all of you. Next week, Tuesday, make sure you come back. Hopefully you'll have Brett and Jake and myself there with you. So, Brett, you have anything to say before we get out of here? Oh, thank you all for tuning in, and I'm excited to see what the future holds for my sports teams, and tune in to Line in the Sand coming up next. There you go. You want your wrestling news? We just had the Royal Rumble, so I guess now we're we're technically into WrestleMania season. Brett, over in Line in the Sand after this, it was you and Key, right? Yep. All right. Yeah, they'll, they'll get you caught up on what happened with the Royal Rumble, and probably some possible storylines for WrestleMania season. So make sure you guys tune in. But um, yeah, also like, subscribe, share, all the good stuff here at the network to enjoy all the shows. Uh, like we said, you got Wire to Wire, um, Two Guys in Hockey Talk tomorrow. As Mo said, wrestling, yeah, yeah. Um, you got Mo and Chris in the morning, Coffee and Sports. Make sure you check them out. Great way to start your day. So for myself and Brett, Jake in his absence, appreciate you tuning in. Enjoy the rest of your night. Be safe. We'll see you next week. All right, we're out of here.